All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. When we began our election year series, Protect the Vote, when we wanted to look at one of the things we wanted to look at was to shine a light on the issues that were preventing some eligible voters from being able to cast ballots. And now because of COVID-19, there is a question how to protect the vote during a pandemic. This isn't just a problem to be solved by November. States with upcoming primaries are scrambling to find alternatives to in-person voting. Many, but not all, have postponed their primary dates to late spring and summer. New York, for instance, was supposed to have its primary on April 28th. Now it's June 23rd. That puts it after the June 9th cutoff imposed by the DNC, which could mean the state moving half of its delegates as a penalty. To give us a sense of the bigger picture on how the pandemic is affecting the electoral system is Guardian U.S. voting rights reporter Sam Levine, who has been reporting extensively on this subject. Sam, welcome back to all of it. Hi, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So I mentioned what's happened in New York City, but can you give us a sense of how varied the state's responses are in terms of how they're handling in-person primary voting during the pandemic? Well, what we've seen over the last few weeks has been, frankly, just stunning. States are really scrambling to rewrite their election laws and practices as they try and figure out how to respond to this pandemic. There's a big push to make it easier for people to cast a vote by mail. But in a lot of states, voters just aren't accustomed to voting by mail. It's not widely used. So it requires extensive voter education, extensive work on the part of local clerks to get ballots in the hands of everyone to make sure people know how to apply for a ballot, and then extensive work to process all of the ballots. Some states still require an excuse to request an absentee ballot, and states have been moving to kind of ease those restrictions. So it's really been a scramble that we've seen uh, in the last few weeks in the middle of the primary season to rewrite election laws. So as I said, many states have postponed their primaries, but some held primaries early this month. They went ahead with them. And states that did hold their primaries after the outbreak began, what did the voter turnout look like and what issues came up? Well, Florida was one of the states that went ahead with its primary early this month. And it was interesting to see there because Florida is a state that's accustomed to having a very robust vote-by-mail operation. But the turnout on Election Day in-person voting was certainly uh, much lower. The state saw problems with poll workers dropping out or not showing up for work. Poll workers tend to skew older, which is, of course, the demographic that's more uh, susceptible to developing complications from the coronavirus. And states took extensive precautions to protect those voters at the polls, offering things like gloves and hand sanitizer um, to make sure that they were protected. But in the weeks after the Florida election, it was announced that two people who worked the polls uh, had tested positive for coronavirus, um, which I think sort of speaks to the concern that um, we're still seeing a lot of people have um, over showing up to the polls in person. 
My guest is Sam Levine from The Guardian. We're talking about the primary season during the pandemic. So every state that had a primary scheduled in April has either postponed or switched to a mail-in system except Wisconsin. What is going on in Wisconsin and how did it arrive at this point? Well, it's been really remarkable to watch Wisconsin over the last few weeks. The state is moving ahead with its election on April 7th. It's a presidential primary there, but it's also a crucial election in the state for local races and a very closely watched Supreme Court uh, race in the state. Mm. The governor has said that he does not want to postpone the election. Uh, He said he lacks the authority to unilaterally do that. He has called for mailing ballots to every registered voter in the state, but Republicans have not agreed to that plan. There was a sense that by the time the governor called for that, it was too late. Wisconsin is not a state that has seen a lot of mail-in voting in the past. But for this election, state officials have widely encouraged it, and they've seen an unprecedented amount of people request mail-in ballots. About 1.2 million people have requested it. And clerks throughout the state are really scrambling to make sure that people get their ballots and that they have enough time to return them. On top of that, the state is facing a severe, severe shortage of poll workers. The State Elections Commission reported earlier this week that there are about 111 jurisdictions throughout the state that lack enough poll workers to staff even one polling location. The governor has asked the National Guard to step in and help staff polling locations throughout the state. But there's no question that it's going to cause jurisdictions to severely limit the amount of in-person voting that they're going to offer on Tuesday. In Milwaukee, for example, there's usually about 180 polling locations. For this election, the city can only offer uh, less than 12, the elections officials there have said. That's going to make a huge difference in a city that has a huge minority population, uh, which tends to utilize uh, same-day registration. Um, So it The state is really, really scrambling to figure out how they are possibly going to allow voters to show up at the polls on Tuesday, even after the governor has issued an order telling people that they need to stay home. So if we have somebody who's listening online in Wisconsin or someone in the New York area who has family in Wisconsin, what do residents need to know? What's important for them to know, Sam? Well, yesterday, a federal judge extended the deadline by which people can request an absentee ballot in Wisconsin. The deadline is now, uh, it's at the end of the day today. Mm -hmm. So they can go online and they can request a mail-in ballot, and they should do that. Uh, It's the safest way to cast a ballot and protect your health. Uh, The state has also extended the deadline by which people can submit absentee ballots. So once you get your ballot, you should turn around and fill it out and send it back in as soon as possible. Uh, I think the other thing is that if you can vote and feel comfortable voting, you should vote. You know, it's not just the presidential election on the ballot there. It's very crucial local races and uh, state Supreme Court race that could make a huge difference in the future of people's lives in Wisconsin. So this is a very, very important election there, and um, it's really important to vote. And for anybody who's listening to this, 
I'm talking to Sam at 12.14 on Friday, April 3rd, because we did mention a deadline. So in case during the rebroadcast or in the podcast, I want to make sure people understood when we were talking in terms of those deadline dates and times. My guest is Sam Levine. He is the reporter. He's a reporter from The Guardian. He has been following extensively the effect of the pandemic on the primary system. Okay, Sam, we have this weird new thing, this sort of new Super Tuesday, this Super Super Tuesday. It's looking like June 2nd, there is going to be an enormous number of contests. What do we have? We have New Jersey, Montana, New Mexico, South Dakota, and the District of Columbia already meant to be that day. Now they've added Delaware, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Indiana, Maryland, and Rhode Island. How do you think this could shape, change the shape of our electoral process? What does this mean for, for you as someone who really thinks about these things? Well, I think a lot of people had seen the presidential primary as kind of winding down. And what's clear is now that the state, the contests are moved back, it's going to go on a little bit longer. But in terms of preparing for elections, you know, we don't know where we're going to be in managing this pandemic um, in May or in June or in July. And just because a state has moved back its primary doesn't mean that they shouldn't be putting extensive planning in place to uh, prepare for the possibility that a lot of people might not be able to show up at the polls. The closer that we get to Election Day, I think the harder it's going to be to change those rules to create expansions for people to vote, um, just because the political climate is going to be so much more heated. It's going to be very, it's going to be much harder Mm -hmm. to get bipartisan agreement on why you should be easing deadlines, easing restrictions on people voting uh, the closer we get to Election Day, just because it's going to become so much more partisan. So that's why there's this push right now, um, even though we're several months away from uh, the election, to get states to act. How should we be thinking about and what questions should we be considering when we think about possibly establishing precedent for postponing elections? Well, I think that it's a very difficult question. I think, you know, one question is, is what are the procedures that need to be followed in order to postpone something? In Ohio, a few weeks ago, on the eve of the election, at the 11th hour, um, the state stepped in hours before the polls opened and said the election is postponed. And even though that might have been the right decision from a public health perspective, I think it was, what was striking was that it came so soon before polls were supposed to open and caused a lot of confusion for voters. And I think the thing to be thinking about is how can we make this, make these plans as public as possible to instill public confidence that this is not a power grab, that these are carefully thought out, justified by public health evidence, and is really plans designed to protect the health of voters while also ensuring that they can vote. Because anytime you talk about changing rules around an election, there's talk about who does it benefit, who gains power from it. And I think the more transparent that we are about why changes are being made, about the procedures that are in place, when voters see them as made carefully in the future, not responses at the last minute, that helps instill public confidence. It reduces voter confusion and really makes people feel like their vote counts and that they can have confidence in the results of the election.
So, Sam, we've been talking about Florida and New York and Wisconsin, and it just sounds like this huge patchwork. Have states been basically on their own figuring out the solutions? And, and where have the national organizations like the DNC been with regard to all these changes? Well, in the United States, every state runs its elections differently. There's no federal authority that runs elections. Every state is responsible for setting its elections procedures. Um, and that's why there, it seems like there's such a patchwork. It, it works a little bit differently in every state. Now, when Congress was considering the coronavirus stimulus bill, there was a push from House Democrats to include provisions that would require states to establish things like vote by mail, online voter registration, early voting, um, that would have been significant protections for people to cast their votes uh, in, the, in this pandemic. Republicans opposed those provisions. Uh, there was a, They said that they were power grabs, that it would be federalizing elections, um, even though there are several states that already do the things that Democrats were asking for. Um, so those provisions ultimately weren't included in the final legislation that Congress passed, but what was included was $400 million um, to help states facilitate those processes. There's a sense that $400 million is only a tiny fraction of the money states need to facilitate things like vote by mail, um, early voting. Uh, but it's, there's a sense that it, at least it's something, that at least Congress is offering some kind of assistance to the states as they try and scramble to do this. My guest is Sam Levine from The Guardian. He covers voter protection rights. So New York as I mentioned, is moved its primary. Does New York has mail-in voting, right? New York has mail-in voting, but under state law, you still need to list an excuse to request right. an absentee ballot. Now, that's different. It's interesting when you think about the mail-in voting and you look at all the different states, they all have, you know, you can't say mail-in. Mail-in voting is not just a blanket term. <laughs> like each state has its own parameters. Uh, which ones are particularly restrictive? I'm curious. Well, I think some people would argue that New York is restrictive, mm -hmm. that there's no reason for a state to require someone to have an excuse to vote absentee, that if someone, you know, wants the convenience of being able to vote from their own home, they should be able to do that, no questions asked. And I should note that it, there are very conservative states that allow people to vote by mail, um, no questions asked. Um, another state that's very restrictive is Texas. They restrict absentee ballots to people who are older than 65. You have to be, you know, you have to swear that you're not going to be in your county on election day or during early voting or that you're disabled. Um, and you just have, to, it's another hurdle um, that people have to go through if they want to vote without showing up in person on election day. Um, states like Alabama and Mississippi still require um, you to get things like a witness or a notary even to sign your application for an absentee ballot. Um, so there are all kinds of hurdles that people still have to go through depending on what state they live in just to be able to cast a vote without going to the polls. And Sam, I want to ask you two questions about some of your more recent reporting. Yesterday, you shared an article about the Georgia House Speaker saying that expanding mail-in voting would be, quote, devastating to Republicans. And the president of the United States said something quite 
similar similar to that on Fox while commenting on the early versions of the Congress's stimulus bill. This is the quote. President Trump said the things they had in there were crazy. They had things, levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. They had things in there about election days and what you do and all sort of clawbacks. Are people like the president and the Georgia House speaker correct to to believe that loosening voting restrictions might make things more difficult for Republican politicians? Well, first of all, it is quite striking to see the president and and the speaker of the Georgia House say something like that in out loud and in person. Republicans have long said that they oppose things like mail-in voting um, because it will lead to more voter fraud, which has been proven again and again to be virtually non-existent. So to see politicians openly talk about the partisan advantage that they gain from that they would gain or lose from a voting restriction is quite uh, unusual and um, striking. Um, and beyond that, I'm not sure that it's supported by the evidence. When you think of people who are able to vote by mail, it's senior citizens who you know might not want to leave their home to vote. And especially now in the age of coronavirus, um, those are the people who have the most reason to stay home. And those are not always voters that support Democrats. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that, that it's a, it seems like it's more of a kind of conventional wisdom way of thinking, and I'm not sure that it's actually supported um, by the data. And Sam, you've been doing some great reporting. What's your, your Twitter handle for people who want to follow you? My Twitter handle is at SRL. You should definitely follow Sam Levine. He's U.S. He's, uh, <laughs> he reports on voting rights at The Guardian U.S. Sam, as always, thank you so much for sharing your reporting. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.